I'm Derek from Carmel, Indiana. Hi, this is George from San Francisco, and I'm doing my best Jesse Thorne impression. Not so good, huh? The Sound of Young America is an independent production. Supported by listeners like, well, me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Jane Espenson, is an extremely successful television writer who's written for shows like The Gilmore Girls, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Battlestar Galactica. She's now one of the executive producers of the new Battlestar Galactica prequel series called Caprica, which premieres this month on Sci-Fi. Here's a clip from the show. Dr. Greystone? Agent Durham, Global Defense Department. I'm wondering if you have a few minutes. What for? As you probably know, I'm investigating the attack on the MLMT train. Should I know that? It's about your daughter, Zoe. We have evidence that we believe positively links your daughter to the bombers. I'm sorry... You think that Zoe knew one of the terrorists? Dr. Greystone, we think that Zoe might have been one of the terrorists. Jane, welcome to the Sound of Young America. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. The first scripts you wrote were uh, spec scripts for um, Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek had this thing going on where uh, it was a very famous Star Trek-specific thing, which was that if you sent them a script, they would read it, which is pretty much unique um, in the world of uh, film and television. Everybody else has to, you know, you have to go through channels. Um, how did you hear about this? And what was the like day that you decided, I'll write one of these things? Um, sort of the day I found out about it is the day I decided to do it because how do you let that go past? Yeah. A friend of a friend of a friend, um, was a member of the Writers Guild and got the, the Writers Guild publication, um, which used to list which shows are open for submissions, which was pretty hilarious because the only show that was open for submissions was Star Trek. (laughs) Uh, so it was sort of this big long list of every show on TV with a little symbol next to it that meant not open for submissions (laughs) and Star Trek with like a little circle next to it that meant it won't was um so i wrote three star trek next generation specs all of them focusing around data the android um i wrote them as fast as i could sent them in and they called me about the middle one which i guess was the you know in the goldilocks goldilocks paradigm it was the one that was just right um and said we want you to come in and pitch and so i started going in and pitching uh at star trek and uh, sold them a premise and then i sold them a story uh and and found out from someone else there about the Disney Writers Fellowship, and, and I was off and running. Data the Android, it's interesting that you, uh, that you wrote scripts about Data. Data was this character, and I'm, I have to admit, I'm working from like 15 to 20-year-old Star Trek The Next Generation memories. <laughs> but uh, it, Data was the, that, uh, that classic uh, robot character who strove... Strive did. I believe it's Strive did uh, uh, to achieve real human emotion. 
Um, what, what was the what was the appeal of that character to you? The characters who aspire, who who strive, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, uh, are always the most interesting. Just of uh, you know of of every character who, in a way, Star Trek is a little light on characters who want something, because people. Are, are the the main characters in Star Trek always have to be sort of so evolved and centered and know who they are and and they've achieved this rank in this fabulous organization and Earth is a paradise and um, what do they want? They want to bring good to the universe. Well, it's so much more fun to have a personal, <laughs> deep personal wish that can like interfere with your need to bring good to the universe. Star and, Trek is sort of like a bunch of like guys going around when their mission is not to bother anyone. Yeah, if you yeah, if you boil down the prime directive, absolutely. So it, it, that's why I think they have so many like body switching episodes is to to <laughs> use their actors but give them some sort of. Uh, goals that are in conflict with each other. Uh, So Data just was intrinsically, I felt, the most, by far the most interesting character and and could want things intensely. Um, So all of of the scripts just ended up being about him. You ended up, uh, you you went through a a fellowship program, a writing fellowship program run by Disney, and... um, I ended up working a lot very early in your career in comedies, as as I mentioned in, in your introduction. Um, was that what you were expecting? It's certainly an unusual, strikes me as an unusual career path for, uh, you know, a, a person who started writing for Star Trek The Next Generation. It was the only path open at the time. Drama was dead, and there was absolutely no way it could possibly come back because you couldn't syndicate an hour as well as you could syndicate a half hour. So the the like the revenue stream wasn't there, and therefore it couldn't. The, the drama was definitely dead for all times. Uh, the Disney Fellowship actually only accepted half hour spec scripts as your submission piece. Um, so the the only way I could get into the program was to write a half hour. Uh, so I wrote a Seinfeld to get in. Um, but it, that did not feel to me like a compromise at the time because it had been the comedies when I was a kid that had made me want to write for TV. Um, like I say, MASH and, oh, and Soap and Taxi and, and, and Barney Miller and Mary Tyler Moore and Newhart. All, all those shows were the shows that made me want to write for, for television. So half hour comedy felt like a natural fit. I knew I could, I was a pretty good joke writer. Uh, I sort of had some confidence I could do that. And it actually took five years of half hour before I found my way back to, to hour long and to sci-fi. You wrote for, uh, several years on Battlestar Galactica, which was a, a really wonderful show and, um, a very broadly acclaimed, uh, show. Um, and, and Battlestar Galactica was um, sort of created as a response to the Star Trek idea of what science fiction television was going to be. Um, you didn't write on, on Battlestar Galactica right, right from the start. Um, what, what was appealing to you about it when you, when you first saw it on, on TV? The moral ambiguity, the exact thing that's the anti-Trek of it, as much as I adore Star Trek. You know, I, gee, it's, it's just suddenly occurring to me, I've said some negative things about Trek. <laughs> I love Trek. Um, but, but Battlestar really leans into this notion of, uh, there's no, there's no federation. There's no authority that has all the right answers. The best you can have are well-intentioned people, um, and people who think they're well-intentioned but 
ultimately always have their own self-interest at heart. Is that villainous or is that just human? Like it really, you really felt that there were no, there was no moral cheat sheet. And even if you yourself as a viewer were going, gee, I wonder what the right answer would be in this situation. On most shows you can go, well, the hero just did that. So that must be the right thing to do. At Battlestar, you know, Adama or Rosalind or somebody that's sort of the closest thing to a hero would do an action, and that didn't tell you if it was the right thing. It may be the best thing in the moment. It may not be. Um, but there was no way you could just go, well, Rosalind did it, so it's right. It's interesting. It's real. It's human. It felt like life. Um, I, I had to be part of it. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Jane Espenson, is a television writer. She's the executive producer of a new series called Caprica, set in the world of the rebooted Battlestar Galactica on the Sci-Fi Network. What in the new show uh, was interesting to you? Well, it's set 58 years before the events of Galactica, which is part of the reason you don't need to know any Galactica, because the characters don't know (laughs) any Galactica. Uh, And we don't even even play a lot off sort of like the frisson of, you know where this is headed, how ominous. Like like that's there for for the people who know we're headed to Galactica, but it works without it. What's interesting about it is again the moral the moral complexity that that lack of a moral cheat sheet. Um, it's it's about a culture unlike Battlestar where everyone was on the run and the culture was in fragments. You know what was the culture that was in fragments is sort of one of the things we're talking about. It's like a, a thriving living culture that's very much like our culture here on Earth right now. Uh, in many respects, but in some important ways is not. This is not the only way to have a thriving contemporary culture. The, the gods, the, it's, a, it's a polytheistic society. The, the Greek and Roman gods hold sway. Um, uh, there's never been uh, discrimination on the basis of, of gender or preference in this world. Um, the sort of racism as it exists is quite, quite, surfacy quite quite out there quite publicly acceptable but it's entirely based on culture uh not ethnicity so it's you know it's anti-toron but toron can look like anything uh it's 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 a it's a it's really interesting to sort of take our world change four variables and go okay so now what does it look like and and make it a world in trouble there's a very interesting uh, conflict set up in the pilot, and it's a conflict that's also uh, was very important in a different way in uh, the Battlestar Galactica series, and that is this conflict between the polytheists and the monotheists. And it's interesting to me that the um, uh, the uh, teenage pr- protagonists of Caprica, um, who are uh, a monotheist as a sort of form of rebellion against their parents, um, See their see their monotheism in a very specific light, which is they see it in terms of um, a search for truth, looking for truth as opposed to uh, you know relative truth. Right. They they see it as sort of uh, well, they're looking for the moral cheat sheet, which is you know the, the the thing our show doesn't provide. There's I had nothing to do with the pilot. I was brought in after the pilot. That there's an exchange in the pilot that my God, I wish I'd written because it's so beautiful, where the head of the equivalent of the FBI um, is talking about how dangerous these monotheists are, and he talks about like it's built into their religion. 
a religion that tells you that there is one moral arbiter, uh, this one God who has the power to decide what's right and wrong, and that these people feel they have access to to that dividing line, that they think they know what this God wants, that this God is telling them what's right and wrong. Can you imagine anything more dangerous and destructive? Like, it's like it's such a wonderful, eye-opening way to just sort of turn what you expect, what you always hear about about religion, and just turn it around and say, well, well, yeah, actually, when you say it that way, um, that is kind of creepy. Uh, and and I love that when you can take something that we absolutely accept and and use the metaphor of of science fiction to give you a lens through which to see it and and you see it totally differently. Here's a clip from the pilot. Where does the Athenian Academy stand on the question of monotheism, sister? Are we under investigation now? Just a question. The Academy is dedicated to following the path of the gods. The goddess Athena being our patroness, we are, however, open to all forms of worship, including belief in a singular god. It's very tolerant. And how many of your students are practicing monotheists? You know I can't answer that. It doesn't concern you, sister, that kind of absolutist view of the universe, right and wrong determined solely by a single, all-knowing, all-powerful being whose judgment cannot be questioned, and in whose name the most horrendous of acts can be sanctioned without appeal. You seem to know a great deal about the subject. Know your enemy, Sister Clarice. Love your enemy, Agent Durham. That is what we followers of Athena believe. I'll be in touch. It's also uh, deeply tied in with um, that classic science fiction trope that you wrote about for that first script, which is the idea of... um, uh, you know, what the relationship between, uh, technology and humanity is, um, uh, in, in the early scenes of the pilot and forgive me for spoiling the pilot for people, just so you know, you can turn off your radio, I guess the premise of the series. I actually want to talk about the premise of the series a little bit. Um, uh, there's a terrorist attack that, uh, kills, uh, several teenagers, the teenagers Mm -hmm. we spoke about. And um, uh, one of those teenagers uh, had created an avatar of herself um, in a virtual world, a sort of uh, representation of herself that's, that's presented as, as based on, you know, the collected data about her life that existed in the, in the cloud, so to speak. Um, and that character is, is later on in the pilot brought back into the real world in a very unusual way that I think I don't have to say exactly what it is. Um, what, I'm trying to figure to just out whisper it to the what radio I do. Listening. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, w- w- when you agreed, to, you, would, you, you know, saw the pilot, and these mm-hmm. were the dudes who wrote the pilot were people that you'd been working with on Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica for years. Um, what new leaves did you feel like you could turn over in this kind of classic what is a soul Mm. Uh, story that's you know been in uh, you know roughly sixty percent of all science mm-hmm. fiction uh, products since you know nineteen ten. That's an interesting interesting question. I it's true it's been explored. I mean, she like like you're saying the very first script that I wrote that got read in town was about data the android and at what point are these emotions real uh, and you know 
which is part of the bigger question of is data real as data person as was you know addressed in other amazing scripts done on that show um yeah we don't tend to we don't spend a lot of time having people debate that question um she's presented as a character um and there is sort of the way the story falls out there's not there's never we never sort of lay that open for debate actually until a script that's that's that I'm actually working on today is actually one of the first times where it's sort of explicitly laid out on the page as a question. Um, we're sort of experiencing it through the eyes of the characters, um, and the characters have different amounts of knowledge about what's ha- ha- happened and have different assumptions about what's going on. So it's never sort of laid out essay style. It's just sort of she's a character in our world going through stuff same as anybody else. So it's this is not... Uh, we're trying very hard not to um, sort of tackle an issue, tackle a point of view on a thing. We're, we're talking about characters in a world who are trying to trying to save their world and save themselves and, and blunder through as best as anyone else can. So I'd say it's not it's not a thing we explicitly discuss. It's more like we we present the issues by just showing characters living their lives. That's a very I mean that's a very specific choice in the context of a science fiction show. I think a lot of science fiction. Uh, aspires to be really about ideas and especially ideas about technology and you get sort of iterations away from humans interacting with each other. It seems like the willful choice of this series, even relative to Battlestar Galactica, which was a very humane science fiction show, relatively speaking, is that this is a show about people interacting. Absolutely. And I I, I once actually had a, a producer on a show... I complimented a producer of a show. I said, oh, I'm so glad you're writing sci-fi. And he said, oh, don't call it sci-fi. I'm writing characters. <laughs> and it just, oh, I just, the top of my head flew off. Um, the, I think sci-fi can and often is, should be about people. I think uh, sci-fi can also be about ideas. Uh, but I think that that goes down easier when it's about people first. And the people are just the 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 thing that makes the ideas worth answering, worth exploring, is how does it affect the people. Uh, so, yeah, this is very much a show. I actually think this is a show that will appeal to a lot of people who don't normally like sci-fi because it, you, if you just think of it as, you know, a, a culture that's very much like ours, differs in some interesting ways, but wouldn't have to be floating around on a planet out on space. It's, it's just this other culture. Um, you know, in the way that watch Mad Men, it's a different culture. It's a culture just separated by time. It reminded me a little bit of, of The Wire in a funny way. Yes, that, that's a world that we don't necessarily know very well if we're not from that time and place and uh, background. It, it's it's kind of like that. It's like you're going to be immersed in this world with these people and you're going to watch them uh, respond to, to dramatic events that are going to change their lives and how are they going to do it? How are they going to get out of this? And, and how are they going to try to... M- fix their world and make it as good as they can. There's a lot of that in this. There's a lot of the sort of sense of people going like, this is broken. How do I fix it? Uh, And they've all got different answers. Well, Jane, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was great to have you on the show. Fantastic to be here. Thank you so much. Caprica premieres on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel January 22nd. You can also watch the full pilot online. Jane Espenson is online at janeespenson.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart, the show produced by speaking into microphones. 
Edited by Nick White in Chicago, our music provided to us by Dan Wally. Our outgoing intern is Mariel Reyes. Our sincere thanks, and by our sincere thanks, I guess I mean my sincere thanks, since no one else works here. Besides Nick, who's the editor part-time. So me and, I think I can speak for Nick, me and Nick's sincere thanks to Mariel for uh, a number of months of really superb service and uh, just an absolutely great attitude. Great intern. Thank you very much, Mariel. Um, yeah, thanks, Mariel. If you have thoughts about the show, you can email us at jesse at org. And again, by us, I mean me. Um, and you can visit us online at MaximumFun.org if you want to download any of our shows absolutely 100% for free. And yes, I said any of our shows, uh, The Sound of Young America, but also Jordan Jesse Go and the Coil and Sharp podcast and our other podcast-only productions. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. <laughs>